Welcome to Beauty is Eternal. In-depth interviews that inspire. I'm Caitlin, your host for the show. Today's episode is called Future Mars Walker Alyssa Carson. Ready for her space odyssey. As humans, we tend to think of Earth as the center of all life. But what if your actions could impact not just the course of events on Earth, but in the universe? Alyssa Carson is one of seven ambassadors of the Mars One mission, which aims to colonize Mars in the 2030s. Not only would that make her a woman who changes the course of events on Earth, that would make her a woman who changes the solar system. Why does a young woman want to leave behind her home planet, as well as everyone she has ever loved and known, at risk of never seeing them again? What inspires her to push forward into the deep unknown of space? Why does she call Mars home? We are talking to Alyssa today to find out these answers and much more. Alyssa was born in Louisiana. At only 19 years old, she has an incredible amount of qualifications. By the age of 12, she had participated in the MER-10 panel about an expedition to Mars live on NASA TV Anne had visited all 14 NASA visitor centers in the U.S., becoming the first person to ever complete the NASA Passport program. She was also the first person to ever complete all three NASA space camps around the world, including in Turkey and Canada. She is the youngest person ever accepted into the International Space University, as well as the youngest person accepted into the Advanced POSSUM, which stands for Project Polar Suborbital Science in the Upper Mesosphere, where future astronauts are trained in areas such as spacesuit training, underwater survival training, microgravity training, and decompression training. She has watched three space shuttle launches and is an honorary member of the Civilian Air Patrol. Not to mention, she attained her rocket license before she got her driver's permit. Her call sign is NASA Blueberry, which is also the name of her website, nasablueberry.com. She is currently a freshman at Florida Tech studying astrobiology. Alyssa has already given three TEDx talks. In her spare time, she founded the Blueberry Foundation to help children have the opportunity to make their dreams come true. She is making one of my dreams come true by doing this interview, so let's get started. Thank you for joining me all the way from Florida today. Yeah, it's been crazy going all over the place and getting things situated. (laughs) Because you're in a quarantine right now, correct? Well, all classes have been moved online, and basically almost every state now has, like, a stay-home order, so just trying to, I guess, stay away from other people. (laughs) Yeah, just, I do, like, classes every single day, still doing, like, homework and stuff, so just trying to keep up despite not being there in person. 
Yeah, I understand. I understand. So I know you've told this story before of how you became interested in space and Mars, but I still want to ask you again, how does a three-year-old girl, a child, suddenly, you know, decide that she wants to do something life-changing, like become an astronaut and go to Mars? Yeah, I mean, obviously I was super young and I don't remember everything too exactly. Like I said, three is kind of like our guess as to when it happened. We weren't necessarily paying attention at the time, but kind of the best guess that me and my dad have is that it would have been like a cartoon or something on the TV that would have gotten me thinking about space or about Mars. And our best guess is the Backyardigans, just because I had a poster from that TV show that had Mission to Mars on it. And um, my dad remembers more specifically about me asking about space and about Mars. And it's not like we talked about Mars every day in the house. It wasn't like a common conversation topic. So it was a bit out of the blue for me to come and start talking about Mars. And so he told me a little bit about the missions to the moon, but that we hadn't been to Mars yet. And so that was kind of the first spark at getting into space and wanting to talk about going to Mars. And the more I've grown up and learned about space and studied about it, the more I've wanted to do it. <laughs> and you have said before that for you, Mars feels like home. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, well, I definitely think that I've always been pretty passionate about believing that Mars is definitely our next step in terms of uh, space exploration in general. I just see so many of the benefits in going to Mars and you know, going to Mars, we're going to be living there for a pretty long time, even though, you know, we'll have a return mission, but we'll still have, probably have to live there for about 12 months. And so it is going to eventually become a home. And the way I see it is that Mars has so much potential of actually housing like resources, possibly even being a second home, having a second planet. Like I said, with resources or even as population keeps growing, we can have a second place to live. And so uh, I think that as technology advances, Mars can almost become that and become a second home. So us going to Mars and the trips to Mars, you know, hopefully in the next several years, will start to be like the building blocks of that, of seeing how realistic that is, how possible that is, and what all we could actually do with it. So right now you're preparing for an expedition in the 2030s to Mars. It sounds like you're planning on returning from that expedition. You're not planning to go and spend the rest of your life farming on Mars. Is that right? Yeah, well, I mean, there are definitely different companies and organizations who have had different ideas for the missions to Mars. Some have wanted a one-way ticket. Kind of the main companies who have started with that aren't necessarily continuing to pursue that. Government organizations like NASA do not necessarily do one-way trips, so they definitely have a return planned for like them personally. So it's really just going to be kind of up to whatever the goals of the company that ends up going to Mars first. However, personally, I believe that the first missions are going to have a return just because I think that we're going to want to bring our research back. We're going to continue researching everything that we have. You know, we can only bring so much scientific equipment with us all the way to Mars. So there's definitely going to be a lot more things to look into. So I do believe that the first missions are going to be back and forth and possibly more long term can be down the road. But I don't think we're at the point to just go in and then stay in forever <laughs> quite yet. <laughs> and on those first expeditions, 
Do you think it's likely that you'll find bacterial life, that you'll find signs of life previously on Mars? What are your thoughts about David Bowie's question about life on Mars? Yeah, I mean, definitely that would be one of the main reasons I would be going. I mean, currently in college, I'm studying astrobiology, which is basically life in space of any form, whether that's bacteria, whether that's on a whole planet, whether that's some kind of plant. And so kind of the highest possibility on Mars is for bacteria to be in some of the water that's there. So on Mars, we found liquid water, we found ice, we've even found steam at the equator. So there's a lot of potential on the planet for bacteria to live in. And so I think that that's going to be one of our main goals. And I don't see it being that crazy for there to be bacteria there. I think that if we found steam, that's a pretty livable environment for many bacteria. So it's going to be really cool to see if there's actually something there, what it might be. But there's definitely nothing I would think that's more advanced than a simple bacteria. (laughs) And what kind of role would you like to take in the group on this expedition? Yeah, I definitely want to be more of like a mission specialist, research scientist. A big part of like growing up was me just figuring out what route I wanted to take in terms of becoming an astronaut because there's no one way to do it. There's no one career path. There's, you know, really no way to just say this is the step-by-step plan to become (laughs) an astronaut. So with everything that I did, I was a lot more interested in like the science side and the actual research side. So that would kind of be my goal to kind of just sit in the back for the ride there. And then once we get there, start getting into all the science and um, discoveries. So you're really a researcher. Oh, at the end of the day, yes. It's just going to be research and experiments. (laughs) Is there anything that is really scary for you or that you see as very challenging on this expedition? I mean, definitely this mission to Mars is going to be one of the, if not the riskiest mission we've had so far in the space program, just because of how far we're going, how long we're going for. And there's tons of risk in space, you know, radiation, space debris, just the effects to your body. And so there's a lot going on in terms of the mission. I do think that growing up and learning so much about space and being so absorbed in everything, it's just kind of become normal, I guess. So it doesn't necessarily (laughs) scare me. So, I mean, things like radiation, it's just like, oh, yeah, there's radiation in space. It's just kind of like known. But I think another thing is going to the different space centers or just meeting people who work in the space industry. You just see how passionate they are about it and really how much time they put into putting together every single piece to make sure that the astronauts are safe and that we're putting our best technology and our best abilities forward. So with that, I feel in pretty good hands in terms of going to space. (laughs) It's not like it's, you know, the first expedition, it's just the furthest expedition. So you'll have that as a backbone. (laughs) Yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff that we're doing for the mission to Mars that we've already done before. I mean, one main thing is we're reusing engines from the shuttle era, and we are going back to, like, the same concepts that we used in the Apollo era, and we're we're using old habits that worked very well, and we're adapting them, and we're making them even better than they were before to hopefully have some successful missions to Mars. In your current life right now, as you said, you're studying astrobiology. Also, you've completed your pilot's license, your diving license. You have all kinds of qualifications. 
What's your current day-to-day life like? Because the expeditions you'll take part in, they'll be a decade from now. So you have a lot of time to continue preparing. So what are you doing every day at the moment? Yeah, I mean, right now, kind of, since it is like my first year of college, I've been kind of trying to, I guess, stay in one place a a little bit more, just trying to get used to kind of the change of like moving states, changing schools, getting used to college life in general. And so I kind of took the first semester to kind of adjust a little bit. So I try to stay in school as much as possible. So most day to day is just homework like a normal student. If I ever do some sort of like research campaign or some kind of training with Project Possum, then I'll usually go to wherever that is. I mean, we do stuff in Connecticut, Canada, kind of all over the place. But I'll usually go to wherever that is for usually about a week, sometimes two, but it's usually one. So, for example, like during my first semester in October, I went up to Canada and worked at the Canadian Space Agency. And we were testing out a new spacesuit in different gravity environments. And so that was like a full week of doing that and only missed a couple of days of school. But it's a lot of balance managing everything. But for the most part, it's just kind of the life of a normal college student. (laughs) Well, with that kind of schedule, I don't think you're going to parties every night. I think you're probably staying pretty focused. Yeah, there's not too much spare time. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. But in your spare time, what are your hobbies? Yeah, well, I mean, growing up, so I played competitive soccer for 10 years. I also did ballet and piano, which were pretty big parts of my life. I mean, recently, I guess since going to college, I've taken a lot of naps, which has been slightly new to my routine. Um, I'm also a huge Netflix person. Oh my goodness, what am I not watching now that I'm in quarantine? I have so much spare time. I think the last thing I watched, I watched this Spanish movie called The Platform. Let's see, I also watch a lot of baking shows because I can't cook, but it's nice to see people who do. Um, But uh, yeah, I'm just like a pretty big Netflix person. I also enjoy either going on walks on runs or getting out the house a good bit. And same, just when I was kind of on campus more, just, you know, walking around or going on a run with my roommate or whatever. So that's kind of about as much free time as I can spare. I should have asked you, what are not your hobbies? (laughs) Yeah. And I see you've also been doing yoga. Yes, yoga. Well, when I was like younger, I used to do, I guess, more of it just because We actually did it at school, which was a bit interesting. And then also a really good friend of mine's, uh, her mom was like really into it. She actually owns a yoga studio now. So she was like super into it. So I would always do it with her. But yeah, I'm starting to get a lot more into it. I guess more recently since, my goodness, I guess February, maybe, maybe January is probably when I started getting like back into it slightly more because I do it occasionally, but it's definitely just been crazy to see like how much of a workout you can actually get with yoga and I've definitely had a pretty good time actually doing workouts especially uh, I mean being home just because 
you know, you can work out and do things like yoga or either going on a walk or even, you know, you can watch Netflix while being on the treadmill. There's just so much like multitasking that you can do while working out. So it's been really awesome to kind of get involved in all that. All right. Sounds like you're staying active. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And on an expedition to Mars, obviously you don't want your muscles to atrophy. And also when you're there, you're going to be living in zero gravity. I understand it correctly. How do you prepare for that physically? I mean, it's also not something you want to start doing one month before. Do you have in mind now in, in terms of your physical activity what you'll need to do then? Yeah, so I mean, in space, working out and exercise in general is very important to keeping your muscles and your bones as strong as they can possibly be, despite being in microgravity. So astronauts typically exercise about an hour and a half to two hours every single day. And so we have specialized equipment that the astronauts actually use, because obviously, if you just try doing a push-up in microgravity, you're not using anything. So we have like specialized equipment, so um, like a treadmill, a stationary bike, some elastic bands, things like that, that actually strap you down and still force you to use your muscles and actually work out. So those are kind of like the main exercises. There's also an equipment to do like lunges and squats. And so we have like a good deal of equipment already for kind of the time in microgravity. Once we get to Mars, there will be, I mean, slightly more gravity on Mars. Mars does have one third of the gravity as Earth. So we'll have more gravity. We'll be using more of our muscles, but it still won't be as much as we do every day here on Earth. So we'll still have to exercise a good bit. But being on Mars, hopefully it will be more efficient of exercises because we'll have more of that force to actually use our muscles more. But in terms of preparation before that, I mean, just being in general, overall, like physically fit is kind of the biggest thing that you can just work towards when looking to go into being an astronaut. It sounds like you're ready to go tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of diet that you'll have on the expedition and on Mars, what is that going to look like? Yeah, I mean, right now in terms of like food and space, The food really is pretty well at the moment. We have all kinds of different foods that the astronauts eat, whether that is mac and cheese to peanut butter and jelly tortillas, and there's just all kinds of things. Typically, before you go, you know, they'll ask you, like, your favorite food, your least favorite food. They'll kind of send a good variety of stuff. Your taste buds do change a little bit when you're in space because you have no sense of smell, and smell is such a big part of eating and so some things that you may originally like you may not like them in space so that's why they send a pretty large variety of stuff when we get to going to something a bit more long term like the mission to mars it's a lot harder to pack two years worth of food for you know four five six people just because of all the weight and storage that that will take so we're definitely going to have to adapt a bit more of just like growing stuff, growing some kind of vegetation, growing food instead of just bringing food. And then once we're on Mars, we'll definitely have to grow food as well to sustain this while we're there. So we'll have food, of course, you know, in case stuff goes wrong. But a lot of our diet is going to be trying to grow as much as possible. And what kind of things are you going to be primarily focused on growing? Yeah, so right now they're still working on looking at the different things that grow the best in microgravity. You know, there's so many experiments right now. I know 
for example, like at my college, they're working on imitating Martian soil and trying to grow plants on it. Um, another big thing is just figuring out growing plants in microgravity because, you know, how do you water the plant if the water's just floating or yeah. how do you make it to where the plants can always get sunlight? And so there's still several things that they're working on. I know I'm pretty sure lettuce has been fairly successful so far. I'm trying to think of some of the others, but there's several that have been decently successful, but I know they're still working on developing that to get even more foods successful to grow in space. So that you can have a well-rounded diet even when you're there and you don't have to live off of space bars. Yeah, that that would be the goal. (laughs) (laughs) And what are your favorite foods to eat actually in general? Well, I mean, being from Louisiana, I'm a big seafood and like Louisiana food, I guess, person, crawfish and gumbo and jambalaya and all those things, which we probably won't have in space, (laughs) but that's okay. I would say like most of my favorite foods most likely won't be going to space because I'm also like a big sushi person, a big like ramen person, but Despite that, I, uh, I'm i pretty open to most foods, to be honest. I'm not really that picky, so. It sounds like you enjoy food since you like to watch cooking shows, so. I like the eating part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about, you know, an expedition to Mars for, let's say, it's six months going there, one year you stay, and then nine months back, it's like two and a half years, I think. So what do you think about space romance? Do you think that, you know, it would be possible? It's, it's a fun idea for a romance novel or kind of a space novel. Could you imagine, and I hope I don't, I hope you don't mind me asking this, could you mind falling in love with a fellow astronaut? I mean, I do think it would be a possibility to happen. Because, I mean, obviously you're staying with these people for so long and getting to know them. I don't know if it would be necessarily like encouraged or supported, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, because, yeah, that's what I mean in terms of like being allowed a lot of. And the only reason I say that is just because the mission to Mars is definitely going to be the most dangerous mission we've been on. And so a lot of the time when you're up in space, uh, we try to eliminate distractions because if you're necessarily like distracted or you're just focused on like this one person, you could be putting yourself in danger and everyone else in danger. There's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so, you know, if that is like on the side, but you're still keeping your work necessarily like at the front of your mind, then that could be okay. But just making sure that you're getting all your tests done and not necessarily lacking Mm -hmm. on anything else, just because any sort of mistake could actually cause a big problem and put a lot of lives in danger. So that's why the mission is usually first priority. Mm-hmm. I understand. And it's not like it's a repopulation expedition. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Exploratory plus, expedition. Plus it's like two years. You have the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> In addition to planning to go to space, you've also been designing luggage for space. Are you going to take your own design luggage with you on the expedition? Yeah, so that project that I did in terms of designing space luggage was more geared towards uh, the space tourism industry. So the luggage company that I partnered with, which was Horizon Studios, was looking at how space tourism is becoming more and more of a possibility, and it's really going to become a reality a lot sooner than I feel like most people think. 
And so with them knowing luggage and me kind of giving a bit of space knowledge and like what would be important, you know, what works in space, what doesn't, um, we kind of partnered together to see, you know, what kind of luggage we'd want to bring because, you know, tourists going to space, they can't bring everything they want. Um, there's definitely limits because rockets can only hold so much weight and all of that. But it was just kind of seeing, you know, how we can have it compact, how we can allow people to bring, you know, the things that they'd want to bring, but also being able to have it where it would be out of the way, it wouldn't cause, you know, any trouble, it would be lightweight, the actual luggage itself wouldn't add to the weight. And so just thinking through these problems. So for an actual like mission to space, we wouldn't necessarily be like packing our own luggage bags, but Mm. thinking more towards like the tourism side. Because, you know, when we actually go to space, we usually have people like packing all the stuff we need for us and they kind of prepare everything. But when you talk about tourists, you know, they have a little bit more flexibility of like bring what they want. It's like if you want to bring like a book that you want to give to like your kid that's been to space or whatever. And so we kind of work through those ideas of trying to create this futuristic luggage that could one day be a possibility. I see. So it's interesting you mentioned on your expedition to Mars, you won't be packing your own stuff for the most part. Will you be allowed to bring personal items? And if yes, what personal items will you bring with you? Yeah, so astronauts do get to bring some personal items with them. Usually it is like a small pouch that you can fill. So they'll give you like a small bag and say, you know, whatever little small things you want to bring you can and so probably for me I would bring I mean of course like pictures of friends and family I would probably also bring my right stuff award which was the first award I got the first time I went to space camp when I was like seven so that was like the start of it all so it would be nice to like leave that on Mars or something like cliche or whatever like that So those would probably be the top two things I would bring. I've also thought about like deflating a soccer ball and bringing it and pumping it up while we're on Mars. So I thought that might be an idea of something cool to bring because they brought like golf balls and stuff to the moon and fun things like that. So we'll see. But those are probably like the top three at the moment. I like how you call it a cliche to bring your award (laughs) and leave it on Mars. (laughs) I think you're the only person in the world who's thought about doing that. (laughs) Well, you have a very close bond to your father, it seems. He's been a big supporter of you. Can you talk a little bit about your father and his role in helping you get to where you are? Yeah, I mean, definitely my dad's been a big part of my life. He's, like, traveled with me everywhere, gone to all the camps and speeches and everything in between, all the little, like, trainings. So... Definitely when I was young, he was like super supportive of my dream. You know, obviously he didn't fully understand that, you know, at 19, I'd still be here working towards it. Um, (laughs) But he was still supportive regardless. And then even going to the camps, like my dad did all the crazy simulators and things like that with me. So it was really nice to kind of have that. But I do believe that with, you know, having a dream, you need someone on your side, some kind of support system, whether that is a parent or a friend or a teacher or, you know, anyone who can kind of help you in terms of continuing to support you and encourage you. And so luckily, like my dad was like that when I was young. And so it's been really nice to just have that support along the way. And so, yeah, he's kind of basically just done everything with me. I was corresponding with him about this interview. He seems to love you very much. 
too my... much. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of sacrifices has your father had to make and have you had to make to have a career as an astronaut at, you know, 19 now, but since you were like five? Well, I mean, definitely both me and my dad have put like a lot of time into everything that I've done. I mean, my dad does help an extreme amount in terms of like scheduling and keeping stuff organized and that kind of thing. I mean, luckily, like with my dad's job, he's able to do a lot from the road in general. So traveling wasn't too difficult in terms of him being able to travel with me because he was still able to work at the same time. But yeah, it's just definitely been a balance of, you know, adding more things for him to do. And at the same time, I mean, traveling can be a lot sometimes, especially the kind of traveling we do in terms of like being in a country for only like 48 hours. So it's definitely a good bit of sacrifices in terms of like maybe missing out on a few like school events or things here and there. But I definitely don't think that I've missed out on anything that was more important than what I ended up doing. I don't feel like I've missed out on any sort of like major thing. So I still feel like I've gotten like the total childhood experience (laughs) well you also have quite a lot of years left in your life so you have a long time to have experiences (laughs) have there been any moments any really difficult times in your career as an astronaut when you've wondered if you've made the right choice or when you've second guessed it I mean there's been times where things have been pretty difficult especially because a lot of the things I've done I'm usually doing it with people who are older than I am which means they're more educated than I am so it's kind of just been a learning curve of keeping up with like the level of like people that I'm with so for example like especially with Project Possum I mean some of the online classes that I do obviously they're teaching that at a level to people who have already graduated college and so you know, if there's something that I haven't learned yet, it's definitely just learning to go and ask for help and have them like thoroughly explain everything. So there's been that learning curve. I mean, definitely even starting college, it has been extremely difficult, just even just like, I feel like the simple classes. And so it's definitely intimidating, you know, seeing that all I'm taking for the next four years is just science and math. So it can definitely be intimidating how complex they get. But I don't know. I do find it exciting to actually being able to do it, being able to understand it. So it's just working through it. Obviously, it's a difficult field. So I just hope that I make it to the end. (laughs) I'm sure that you will. In your time, you said that you've trained or you've taken classes or been working together with people who are significantly older than you are who have maybe studied more, had more experiences. How has this dynamic been? Have you found any mentors? Have you helped people see things from a new perspective? What's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely very intimidating at first, being around so many people who were older than I was, but it's kind of definitely developed more into such like a supportive family. I mean, they're super supportive of what I do. And vice versa and so it's been really awesome to kind of have them you know if I ever need help on something or understanding something or need advice with whatever I'm doing and I'm definitely along the way I mean I've still made some pretty close friends so like some people who I guess are on like the younger side of like older than I am I've definitely gotten like pretty close to 
So it's been nice to like make friends who also have similar interests. But yeah, just having that community to be able to support each other. Mm-hmm. Do you also have some friends from your study, some friends in your age group? So if you have like a birthday party, then you have your older astronaut friends and then your younger friends or what's that like? Yeah, well, I mean, um, definitely I've been working, for example, like with Project Possum to be more inviting of, I guess, younger applicants or younger people wanting to get involved into it. Because I feel like me starting, you know, at 15, which was, you know, pretty crazy, but I've kind of shown a bit, you know, the capabilities of what someone who is younger can do. And I think that that has kind of translated to them being more open to allowing, you know, more 18-year-olds, more 19-year-olds, that kind of thing, to get involved in the program, which has been really awesome. So we're building definitely a larger community of, you know, a wider range of ages. One of the inspiring things about you is that you've done it your way. You realized at a young age what you wanted to do, and you weren't like, okay, well, if I do all of this, by the time I'm 40, I can be an astronaut. You were kind of like, well, I could do it like that, but why can't I do it like this? Yeah, I mean, I've definitely understood that, like, the dream of going to become an astronaut is definitely, like, a goal that's typically seen for, like, a lot older as like succeeding uh, with that. And so, you know, typically astronauts are in their 30s. You know, I think our youngest American astronaut is 32, which, you know, I think is important to be able to have the education and work experience. But typically, a lot of those astronauts who are becoming astronauts at like 32, they didn't necessarily have the goal of wanting to become an astronaut when they were young. Maybe they thought about it. But, you know, by the time they were in their 20s, they were like, oh, I have those credentials. Why not apply and see what happens? And that's a common story among a lot of the astronauts. You know, they did whatever they were passionate about, whether that was, you know, aerospace engineering or becoming a fighter pilot or whatever it was. And then they looked to become an astronaut because they had the qualifications, which, I mean, what I'm doing is, I guess, pretty similar. I mean, I have the goal of wanting to become an astronaut, but also other goals as well in terms of astrobiology as a profession. But I think that choosing to become an astronaut at an earlier age and sticking to that and always having that goal in mind instead of just losing focus of it kind of really guides you, I guess, in terms of like getting there. And then I think right now in terms of like this day and age with more private companies coming into the space program, the thought of younger people going to space and with space tourism coming about, um, younger people going to space is becoming more and more of a possibility. And so that has kind of just naturally flowed, I guess, with my age range. So, I mean, I've just been trying to put myself like prepared and in the right position to, you know, if I could go to space, let's say with Virgin Galactic or something like that in the next year or so, and being able to inspire kids all over the world that if you decide what you want to do at a young age you can start working towards it you don't have to wait till college to start working towards it you don't have to wait till then to decide what you want to do you can start looking at career paths and you can start you know getting involved in that and even though you may not succeed it for you know many years at least you're still being interested in something at least you're still working towards a goal you know when you were talking about that you reminded me something I was thinking about earlier with regards to you 
I think in past times it was more common for children to start and pursue something as an expert at a younger age. It was more common for people to say maybe 10 or 15, this is what I want to do and really go into that field. I think nowadays it's become where you give everybody general education and then you expect people to branch off. But so you're sort of a trailblazer in the sense that you're kind of, you know, going on a more direct path because you know what you want. But on the other hand, that's also something people used to do two or 300 years ago. They wanted to be a painter. They became an apprentice and they didn't have all of those steps that they had in the way where they had to get a general education and do the same thing everyone else was doing because they they knew. Right. And I mean, definitely even in high school and things like that, I, you know, took classes that I knew I would never use in my career. But I mean, at the same time, that is like where education is right now. But at the same time, I didn't necessarily let that stop me from taking like some sort of space class on the side to actually learn stuff about what I was actually interested in. So I think it's important to have somewhat of a mix of, you know, taking what you're supposed to take, but also involving some sort of curricular of what you're passionate about or an interest of yours. That's a very balanced outlook. Is that part of why you founded the Blueberry Foundation? So the Blueberry Foundation, it was originally supposed to be a foundation in terms of helping get kids to space camp because when I went to space camp when I was like seven, it was super inspiring and really helped me figure out a lot and solidify that I did want to become an astronaut and also helped me figure out, um, you know, what area of science I'd want to research, what I would want to do if I wanted to be a pilot or I wanted to study science and all helped me figure out so much. So I was definitely passionate about wanting to give other kids that same opportunity of having to, you know, discover what they wanted to do. And so that was the original intent of the Blueberry Foundation. It shifted slightly, but still kind of remains that same idea. The foundation is currently working a little bit more towards helping like groups, especially in other countries. So recently we helped a group of 50 people or 50 kids from Argentina go to space camp for the first time. We also worked with a group out of Mexico. I think they had two groups of probably like 20 students go to space camp. So just being able to give more kids the opportunity to learn about space and see the different career opportunities. That must be very rewarding that you're able to help other people get this opportunity to discover what they love at a young age. Well, it's been super nice, especially the amount that I've traveled. I mean, so far I've been to 26 different countries, and most of them I am talking about space or talking about different career paths that kids can take and speaking to kids directly. And so it's been really nice to be able to see them understand all the different career opportunities. And if they are interested in space, I feel like kids in other countries get very hung up on NASA specifically. There are definitely so many other companies doing just as much space-related work. So, for example, if you're in Europe, definitely look at ESA, and there are definitely just as many ESA astronauts going to the International Space Station or building satellites or whatever your area of science is interested in. So I think it's been not only teaching people about what NASA's been doing and what the goals are, but also what you know is going on in their own country and what opportunities they have there. Or even, you know, talking about the private space industry, once they get to the point of selecting astronauts, it's not going to matter as much about nationality. 
because it's not a government business. If, you know, you have the criteria for the job and you're the best fit, then they're going to select you as an astronaut. And in private industries, we're going to have more astronauts, more people working for the space industry. So just kind of letting all the kids know all the opportunities that are coming about in terms of the space industry. That's interesting. So the space industry will actually be a growing sector for jobs in the future. I never thought of it like that. Yeah, it definitely is going to be growing. I mean, definitely with, you know, talking about missions to Mars, there's been more jobs coming into place because the facilities are becoming more and more active. Now that the rocket is starting to be built, I think the core stage and all that has already been built. And as, like I said, the private industries grow more and more, you know, space tourism or even, you know, space companies like SpaceX just going to the International Space Station or bringing supplies. There's just going to be almost like an explosion of jobs happening due to, you know, the amount of companies and the amount of involvement we'll have in space. (laughs) And that's so funny because, so in Germany, they always say tech jobs are very secure. If you want to make sure you have a job, you know, study IT, study development. But it's funny when you say that, I'm like, oh, you should study space IT or space tech. That's a, a growing field. That's so cool. Yeah, it definitely is. When you said that when you go to these 26 countries or when you visit these children in other countries, you talk to them, you speak fluently at least four languages. You studied in four languages. You're a polyglot. Do you actually communicate if it's, I saw a video of you speaking French. So if you're in France, do you speak to them in French then? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, from kindergarten all through high school, I went to a international immersion school, which is where I learned the four languages. But yeah, definitely if I go to a country where, I mean, I know their native language, so I'm going to speak to them in that. I've done speeches in Spanish in South America. I've done either smaller speeches, so like groups of kids. I've even done like a large speech in Spanish. So I think every time I've gone to South America, they always get excited when I speak Spanish, but I think that also helps a lot, I think, when speaking to kids, because being the same age as them, speaking the same language as them, you connect to them, and I think that's super important, and I guess growing up in the international school, I've definitely been exposed to so many cultures just at school because my teachers are native to a country that the language that they're teaching So we learned all of their cultures, but I definitely always want to be able to speak to people in their language. I don't necessarily think it's fair to like expect everyone to know English. And so being able to have that language knowledge behind me has been really amazing to have, especially with traveling. But yeah, I definitely love it. Was it part of your astronaut training to learn the different languages or was that more your school or more your personal wish? Well, it wasn't, I didn't necessarily start doing it to relate to space in any way. So my dad had just found the school in our area that they were teaching multiple languages. He had a friend who sent her kids there. And my dad did a lot of traveling when he was younger because he was a freelance videographer. So he traveled to a good bit of country. So he kind of felt that language barrier and that language gap. And so in general, he just thought it would be nice if I was able to, you know, at least speak one other language or possibly make it easier to learn languages in the future, just because he saw the lack that he had when he was traveling. So he just thought it would be neat. And so I started the school in kindergarten. 
And then it was crazy how immersed you get and how the school worked and all. But yeah, it was really nice to be able to go through that and learn languages. And I've been trying to keep it up because obviously since leaving high school and going to college, I'm not necessarily taking like language classes anymore or practicing it as much as I normally would. So yeah, just trying to keep it up and keep it all up here to be able to use it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking different languages, as you mentioned, astronauts are international. You're not going to work with a company just because you're American and they're American. You could work with a company and they're Spanish or they're French. It doesn't really matter. So it kind of fits in with that universal role. Yeah, definitely. And I think that in terms of the mission to Mars, something that's been talked about pretty frequently is, you know, on the mission to Mars, if we had an ESA astronaut, a NASA astronaut, an astronaut from the Chinese Space Agency or whatever we want to do to where it's as if the world's going to Mars. You know, it's not one country. It's not one organization, one government program, one company. It's just us actually succeeding something together and, you know, accomplishing something as big as going to another planet. And so with that idea in mind, you know, if we do end up having some of an international crew, I mean, it would be so much fun to like learn each other's languages and just like, you know, get to know each other culturally. That's an interesting point. You don't know the nationality of the group that you'll be going with. So it could be people from all over the world. So then being able to communicate with people in their native language would be a huge advantage. Right. I want to ask you a question. It might be a stupid question, but I still want to ask you, in terms of life on other planets or in the galaxy, in the solar system, in the universe, do you think that there is life beyond just bacterial life? And do you think that in our lifetimes we'll encounter, you know, sort of aliens? I mean, I definitely do believe that the universe is too big for there not to be some sort of other life. We have just explored basically nothing of space so far. And so I just think that with the amount of possibilities, it's almost impossible for there not to be, you know, some sort of other intelligent life out there. I do, well, I don't necessarily know if they're close to us or far away. I don't necessarily know, you know, if they visited us and like all the all those sort of ideas. Um, I definitely do think that there's stuff out there. I just don't know how close we are to them or how close we are to actually encountering, you know, something. Like the X-Files says, the truth is out there. Right, you have to go find it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a favorite Mars or astronaut or outer space movie? I mean, probably some of my favorite space movies is The Martian, Apollo 13, Um, There's also a pretty good Hubble documentary, which is pretty cool, mainly just because you get to see like pretty galaxies and like, (laughs) that's just nice to watch. But those are probably my favorites. Mm -hmm. When you go on this expedition, do you think you'll be filming it? I'm not. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, definitely uh, we're going to have a good bit of cameras. I mean, a lot of astronauts pick up photography just in general while they're in space even if it wasn't an interest of theirs on Earth. But once getting to space and being able to, like, see the Earth as a whole and being able to see these beautiful things, you kind of pick up on photography pretty fast (laughs) just because you're wanting to capture it all. So I'm pretty sure that photography is going to be a big part of what we're doing, especially when going to Mars, wanting to take pictures of everything and 
getting all of that documented. Film might be a possibility as well, recording some of it, but I think photography might be like a bit larger, but there might be some film as well. <laughs> well, that's such a cool opportunity to see not just so much of space, but also to see from the perspective of people in a spaceship what they're experiencing. Wow. Right, yeah. I mean, it's definitely a different perspective. A lot of astronauts come back, you know, feeling very different about Earth in general and, you know, the way we currently function. Just because from space, I mean, there's no country borders, there's no there's no lines, there's nothing like dividing anything. It's just a bunch of continents on, on the planet. And so it's definitely a very unique experience to be able to see that. I can only imagine. <laughs> What's one book that you'd recommend everyone read? Well, I know one book that is pretty helpful. I'm trying to remember like the exact name, but it's for if you're interested in space. It's called like the astronaut manual for aspiring teens, something like that. I also wrote somewhat of a similar book called So You Want to Be an Astronaut to kind of help people, I guess, guiding them with wanting to become an astronaut because like I've said since there's no way to do it I definitely think it's a lot more of a personal journey that you have to figure out and so being able to do that but it's definitely not only about wanting to become an astronaut it can definitely apply to any dream you have because it's kind of just basic steps that you can take to get to where you are because I definitely believe that everything that I've done is totally possible for anyone to have done the same. Like you've said before, if you work hard and you're focused and you have somebody to support you, you can achieve pretty much anything. Right, yeah. I definitely think the biggest things are just like having somewhat of a support system. Also, speaking about your dreams is super important. Um, You know, being able to tell people what you're interested in. Um, You never really know where opportunities are going to come from. So, you know, if you're interested in Being an astronaut and you tell someone that, maybe they know someone who knows someone who works for NASA. You know, you never know where the opportunities could come from. So you can actually gain a lot just from speaking about your goals. And so it can actually get you a lot further than you might think. So just being able to have that support plus, you know, any sort of opportunities that you get along the way from speaking about your dreams. Yeah, and then just continuing to work towards it. That's such good advice because... If you don't tell people, if you don't communicate your dreams, then nobody can help you. But if you share that, then it opens up possibilities for you. Yeah, there's definitely so many possibilities or opportunities Mm -hmm. that are out there, which just come about from random conversations, because it's always going to be the people you least expect that can actually, you know, give you some sort of opportunity or advice for your dream. Mm, That's very true. What is the meaning of life for you, Alyssa? Well, I think, I mean, a big part of my life has become, has just become like being able to inspire people. I think that that's become super big and I've absolutely loved getting more and more involved in speaking. It's just been so rewarding to be able to teach kids about the different job opportunities they can have or even just the amount of non-traditional jobs out there besides like the basic like lawyer, doctor, whatever, you know, the basic ones that are always thrown at you. 
I mean, like if you're interested in food and you're interested in space, you know, there's people who have to cook the food and prepare the food that goes to the International Space Station. But that's not a job you would think of when you think about working in the space industry. And so being able to inspire these people to find these jobs that they're truly interested in. And a big thing has been also just teaching about the space program in general, which is kind of how I got into speaking, just because in 2011, when the space shuttle program ended, you know, a lot of people thought NASA was closed, space was closed, they weren't astronauts anymore. I mean, I even had family members asking, like, what are they going to do now that there aren't astronauts anymore? And so I think that there was a big gap <laughs> in terms of, like, the public actually understanding what was going on in the space industry. And I think kind of all the time there's a pretty big gap in terms of people understanding what's actually going on in the, in the space industry. I mean, it's not necessarily something that's as open to the public as I feel like it should be. So it's been super amazing to be able to share all of that knowledge and teach people about space and everything going on and hopefully get them just as excited about missions to Mars as I am. That's amazing because a lot of people, I think, get sort of intimidated by the idea of astronauts in space and they think, oh, I'm not smart enough for that or I don't know anything about that but you're helping make it accessible for a lot of people so that they can realize, oh, hey, maybe I could do that, or maybe that's something for me. You're opening up new possibilities for people by showing them that all the doors and all the you know, borders that they think are there maybe aren't there. Right, and it takes tens of thousands of people to send one astronaut to space. Space is definitely, I mean, a challenging thing to accomplish, um, but it takes so many people and each one of them plays such an important role. So it's definitely inspiring the next generation of people to fill those tens of thousands of jobs Mm -hmm. to be able to continue pushing human space exploration. Well, that's a beautiful thing. What is coming up for you, Alyssa? What is next for you on your agenda? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess next would just be continuing through school. The next thing or another thing that I want to get done, maybe over the summer, I'm not too sure yet, but I do want to continue flying a bit more. So I got my private pilot's license, which is like the first tier. So I do want to continue to like the second rating, which is an instrument rating. And so I'm not sure if I want to go further than that. But we shall see after that happens. Um, But I do definitely want to get my instrument rating. And so I might do that through my school. And then I also do want to get more involved in some kind of project. So whether that is talking about plants being grown in microgravity or some sort of astrobiology specific Mm -hmm. either internship or project going on. So again, either over the summer or possibly during the school year. And then I'm, of course, continuing to work with Project Possum and any sort of uh, research campaigns or anything like that going on. So I guess those are like the main goals for, I guess, the rest of this year. And so just being able to dive more into my major and then uh, continuing to keep up flying. I think you're doing more this year than I've done in my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I'll ask you one more question and then I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna let you go. Okay. Okay. What do you do to handle stress? Do you have a way if you're feeling yeah, if you're just feeling stressed out about things, what do you use to 
handle that. Yeah, I mean, definitely stress and kind of along with that, fear as well can be. I mean, two big things are incredibly challenging, especially the career path that I've chosen. But I mean, definitely with school, I think that everyone has some level of stress. Um, I'm definitely relieved from stress a lot of just like being around, you know, people and just kind of having that to just calm me down a little bit. And that has been a big thing. Also, just like taking time away from like whatever it is. I know that a lot of times, especially with like the things I'm studying, like calculus problems or whatever, it's always good to like take a moment to like step away and kind of relax for a moment and then looking at stuff with fresh eyes. Also, any sort of things that may be more relieving to, for example, like recently, like yoga has been, you know, doing maybe a couple poses just to like relieve and kind of just like forget about everything has been super important. And I know definitely for me, like in terms of like fear and stuff, I've always been one, you know, once I do it one time, then I'm ready to do it over and over again. So mainly it's just getting out of your head. That's very good advice. Taking a step back from the situation and getting some space so you feel less tension and you can see more clearly. Right. Well, that's my final question for you today, Alyssa. I'm so happy that you made time for me. I have been like talking about this interview for a while and very nervous <laughs> about it and really excited about it. So I'm, I'm so happy I had the chance to meet you. And if anybody wants to get in touch with you, the best way is through your website, nasablueberry.com. So everything is kind of connected to nasablueberry.com. But again, almost every sort of social media is basically NASA Blueberry, whether that is Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. Everything's kind of connected through that. <laughs> okay, that's great. Well, thank you for your time today. I'm going to let you get back to your, your school, your quarantine, your activities, whatever <laughs> yeah. you have to do. Thank you so much. Okay, bye, Alyssa. I'll talk bye. to you soon. Okay. You can learn more about Alyssa and follow her latest activities directly on her website, nasablueberry.com, spelled out N-A-S-A-B-L-U-E-B-E-R-R-Y.com. I will link to her website as well as the Blueberry Foundation and her Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn profiles directly on the show notes at beautyiseternal.com.